here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Hello, world. This is TJ Marsh, CT Radio, with American Communications Online. I'm your host, Teresa J. Marsh, and I will be joined by Janet Carolesson of Hawaii, my co-host, sometime tonight. And uh, here she comes right now, and she just loves doing this type of show. Janet, can you hear Hi. me? I can. Aloha. How are you? Okay. Do I sound okay, or good, do I sound like good. I'm in a tunnel? Nope, you sound good. Okay. Well, uh, Janet is an author in Hawaii. You want to introduce yourself, and then I'll introduce our guest. Okay, I'm uh, Janet Kiralesson. I'm joining Teresa J. Morris from Maui, Hawaii, and I am uh, co-host with TJ on a, a show called Portal Stargate that premieres tomorrow on Revolution Radio, which is Revolution Radio. Dot, revolution dot radio. So that'll be tomorrow from let's see what is it four to six Eastern. I think it's the time zone. And then um, did I get it interference? Hold on, let's see that. Still with me? Uh, Sunday's the sixth. Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah. Were you getting feedback yeah. or something in Hawaii? Yeah. I, I had my computer on. Uh, full blast, so I had to turn it down. I'm oh, yeah, just turn that. it down. Okay. Yeah. And then I'm on Sunday, Stargate, uh, no, Tuesday, Stargate, the Cosmos, two to four, and um, Sunday's a Sacred Matrix, uh, not two to four, eight to ten Eastern, and Sacred Matrix is eight to ten Eastern with Dr. Sasha Alex Wilson. And then uh, I'm an author. I've written about ten books. Co-authored five uh, books on the Anunnaki with Dr. Lisson, and uh, a couple of experiences, some experience of contactee, and I'm working on a new book called Dragons at the End of Time, and so that'll probably be out in 2020, and uh, that's about it for now. What about you, All TJ? Right. Who are you? Who are you in this moment? <laughs> I'm not really sure anymore, Janet, but uh, Teresa J. Mm-hmm. Morris, I'm an author. I do websites. I'm a web developer, and I just love marketing for people, and I represent uh, T.J. Morris Agency, and I'm always looking for people to join our ACO Association and our Ascension Age with Janet Carolus of Hawaii Ascension Center and also UFO Association with Jan Aldrich, myself, and Janet, and uh We've got Thomas Conwell, who is a ufologist and an author. He has four books out, so I'm really happy to have him tonight. And he has been an electronic technician with the U.S. Navy in Honeywell for 42 years. And uh, Honeywell Temperature Control, Fire Alarm Security Software Specialist, Biomedical Engineer, uh, Free Fire Alarm Level, One Certified, a meteorologist and HVAC engineering resource. So he's highly uh, technical. He's done a lot, a lot of things that a lot of people probably have just dreamed about. But Tom's a wide-ranging expert with a keen awareness of physics, computer, and Internet software. So maybe he's going to enlighten us with some of this new stuff. And he has broad knowledge of electronics and how it intersects with the paranormal world. Ooh. 
which you know, guys, I'm on paranormal radio all the time, and UFOs. So over the last three years, Tom's written four books, Wow, and created a sighting map, which I put a picture up here if you can tune into Blog Talk Radio anytime and just punch in TJ T Radio. It will be here in our archives. Now, they're based on aspects of ufology, and he's studied and researched UFO sighting reports for the entire United States and created a national sighting map, which has revealed anomalies throughout the U.S. Thomas, I like to call him Tom, and that's what I've got here, so we'll talk to him about that, has been on numerous radio programs across the United States. And he's on Amazon if you'd like to locate his four books, and we'll ask him the names of those. And he's also been working on quite a few blogs and the story of how UFOs can find their way into uh, our lives and uh, also light years away. So this is going to be a fun talk. So he's planning on multiple speaking events, and uh, I guess he gets on at the general events, puts in for them. But he's also smart enough to keep uh, the 52% of the world in Facebook presenting uh, whatever he does and what his postings are in our ET life, our extraterrestrial life, if you will, and also UFO sightings. So he must have a lot more time than I do. I can barely keep up with my family and my radio shows and my friend Janet in Hawaii these days. But we'll keep doing the best we can with everybody. So. We're going to get started here with Janet Carroll Lesson, author, radio host, website owners, helping me with ACO Association and UFO Association. So, Thomas Conwell, welcome, and tell us about, basically, uh, how you got into the ufology world, and I'm sure we'll let you speak and question, okay. if you don't mind. So, give us a okay, break, fine, Mr. Um, Robert. You're You're on. Okay, thank you very much, um, uh, Teresa, and uh, good to hear uh, from uh, Janet again. Um, hi, Tom. Yeah, hi, Tom. Um, aloha. Aloha, uh, yes. So um, I I have always been interested in UFOs um, since I was a, a basically since I was a child, and um, I never really took the extra step to get involved with, with uh, looking at UFOs. I, I never did that, but I've always been interested. So um, I went through my life through the Navy and Honeywell and did a whole lot of, um, a whole lot of work with them, certainly. And uh, after about 42 years uh, with both of those combined, um, I finally retired. And then I had a second life. And my second life involved... Uh, paranormal uh, initially and uh, eventually into UFOs. And I've been looking at uh, the UFO question for approximately 10 years now. So uh, I've, I've, had, um, I've had a whole, lot of, uh, a whole lot of interest. The funny thing is I hadn't seen a UFO in the whole time. Even though I've been interested, maintained... Uh, um, knowledge about them. I, I grabbed as much as I could read uh, and uh, never had a sighting until I was almost done with my first book. Not a Nothing. What, never seen what, anything what in the sky. What do you think sparked your interest? We find that most people that are interested in ufology have had some kind of uh, 
abduction or um, contact or sighting. Uh, typically, it's in their childhood. So you're saying you started this when you were a full-on adult. How old were you when you started doing this uh, research? Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm having a little trouble hearing you, but... Um, oh, how old were you when you started doing this research? Oh, okay. Um, I was uh, a research. Uh, I was 62 when I first started researching. Actual hands-on, looking through, um, uh, looking through databases and um, coming up with all the various ideas that I had to, um, had to compare and contrast um, whether that was um, UFO sightings, uh, historically speaking, um, UFO sightings uh, recently, and um, um, so I, I guess I started writing about 2014. Uh, that's when I had my first sighting. I was almost done with it. So uh, I basically ready to uh, uh, send it in for for um, uh, publication. And I had um, uh, my wife called my, my attention to something outside, and I ended up seeing uh, nine things in the sky, which uh, certainly blew my mind. It was very interesting. So I included that sighting and um, my uh, my uh, approach to the whole thing, which was like technically related, what I saw, what I thought I saw. Um, uh, time, date, uh, whatever else, and included that within my first book. Uh, that was like the first few words of uh, my first book. It ended up uh, being about 12, 12 pages long, I suppose it was about. And uh, it was very interesting, very interesting time. Um, when I started Can you hear me, my... Tom? I'm sorry, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Uh, yes. Okay, good. I just put on a, a thank you. I needed a sound check. Apologize for that. Just making sure you could hear me because last night they couldn't hear me with my headset on. So that's oh, all boy. it was was not having a headset. So thank you. Um, you want to tell us the name of your first book? Yes. Um, my uh, my first three books are entitled. They all have the same basic title. They are here. Um, the subtitle for the first book is East Coast UFOs. Volume 1. For the second book, it's Central U.S. UFOs, Volume 2. And the third book is Western U.S. UFOs, Volume 3. And they're all available And did you get to Hawaii? <laughs> yes, I did. Um, um, I made some comments about Hawaii. Uh, once, once I put my first book together, I realized that I was leaving something out. What I was leaving out was the visual. Um, you can talk about where UFOs are and mention names of cities and stuff, but unless you have a visual, you just don't, you don't see the whole picture. So, right. yeah, after, after I did volume one, um, I, I knew that I had to go back and uh, put everything on a map. So uh, for volume two, I did um, the, uh, the amount of sightings for volume one and volume two and put that on a map. I had a lot of problems when I did that. Well, I had a 30 by 50 map. That's a pretty big U.S. map. 
some of the areas had so many sightings in them that I couldn't put pins on it because the pins were uh, were uh, uh, extending well, well, well beyond the area um, that I was uh, describing, and it, it wasn't making any sense. So um, what I did was um, I changed the type of pin that I used. I went to bigger pins and uh, stated in my, my uh, 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 map key that the bigger pins equal 20 little pins. Well, that worked for the United States until I got to the West Coast. And then there were so many sightings out there that I had to make uh, the big pins 100 little pins, equal to 100 little ones. Um, so I, the, this was, this was an a, uh, overwhelming uh, amount of work doing this. And it probably took me a year to put this whole map together. So what did you find well, out? Where's the, yeah. where's the most sightings in, in the United States? Who's the, who's the number one? Who's the leader? Okay. Um, I oh, did please. my map from <laughs> UFO sightings were from 2011 to approximately 2015. Six years. That's that's the time frame. During that, the number one uh, area in the U.S. was uh, the Los Angeles, the Greater Los Angeles area. Ah, interesting. Since then, since then, Phoenix has overtaken Los Angeles for the quantity of sightings. Now, is that up till 2019, or no, just 2016? Are you are you still avid punch keeping up? Uh, no, uh, I, I stopped at 2016, and the reason I did is because there were so many pins in some of these areas that it was it was losing it was losing meaning because there were just so many pins and you couldn't discern one area from the next. Such as in Kentucky, uh, you had Louisville and Lexington, which were about well, maybe a hundred miles apart or so. And there were just so many pins that just filled up the whole area. Okay. okay. A whole lot of cities that had that same problem. So did you register each one based on place, date, or how did you uh, archive the, all the sightings? Oh, okay. Okay, well, uh, uh, several things. Um, first of all, I wanted to um, uh, this. This takes me back to my first book now. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about the maps at this point. Um, when I was comparing all of the data, I found that there were approximately uh, 50, roughly 50, uh, different types of things seen in the sky that people were talking about. Um, I couldn't very well put all 50 of those on a graph. I wanted to compare everything and look at look at what was going up and what was going down and whatever else. I couldn't do it. There were just too many. So I combined types of sightings. Uh, in other words, a sphere and an egg. They're almost sphere-like. Some people would look at a sphere and, and maybe call it an egg. Um, and, and there were all kinds of variations of that. So um, 
I, I combined the seven different types of um, of uh, things seen in the sky, and um, excuse me, I, I combined all 50 of them into seven. And those seven different types were a cigar, disc, fireball, lights, shapes, spheres, and triangles. And um, I thought that pretty much gave me a good idea of the varying types of things. And I also found that when I started to put them on a map, I couldn't do that. There were just too many of different types. So what I did is I grabbed three of the most common ones seen, which were triangles, spheres, and fireballs. And that's all that's on that map, three types. And there are so many pins that I just couldn't do anything else with it. Um, the other thing I did was I was hoping to be able to put these sightings in some sort of a historical perspective. What's been changing over the years? Because as I was going through the database, I noticed that there were um, uh, uh, there were some changes from early to most recent. Uh, the earlier sightings, there was a whole lot of uh, disks seen in the sky. And as it got towards uh, 2005, maybe uh, pushing 2010, um, the disks weren't so apparent, and other things were being seen. So what I did was, uh, because I was able to put them into seven different groups, I compared within each state every single one of these seven groups historically. So there's four different types of uh, things um, uh, excuse me, four, four, different, um, four different time frames that I was able to use. I also grabbed the same amount of sightings for each of the seven different varieties. So I could compare them. In other words, if I had like four in one and 300 in another, I couldn't very well compare it. Say, well, look how they're changing because they would change drastically. So... Again, I had I tried, uh, to give you an example, I'd have 150 here and maybe 47 there in the next group and uh, 160 in the third group and uh, maybe 170 in the fourth group. Then I could compare them uh, apples to apples and see which ones were going down in the amount of sightings and which ones were going up. I come to find out that as far as down and up goes, the um, the discs had a um, had a peak in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, and then they went down drastically. Fireballs, in many cases, uh, were only maybe like two or three in the 50s. And uh, the most recent, there was the majority of them. So fireballs were going up as this were going down. In most cases, spheres were pretty much staying consistent. Lights in the sky 
pretty much consistent. Cigars, I found that um, there were more of those seen in the early years than in the later ones, uh, the more recent years. And um, the triangles uh, seem to be even, the same amount of sightings in um, all four um, uh, year events. So uh, by comparing them in that way, I was able to determine that um, there were some changes over the years, that the different types of sightings were, um, were uh, uh, varying uh, by large quantities. And also, at the time, I saw that many, many of the graphs that I made had the discs going down in the same relationship that the fireballs were going up. That's what got me interested in um, finding out what people were actually seeing. So, in the National UFO Reporting Center, um, if you go in and uh, look at the sightings, there's probably uh, 90,000 in there by now. Um, if if you go in there and look, each each uh, sighting, each individual sighting has a short and a long description. What I did was read the long description for every single sighting. It took me years, but I did that for a reason. I did that to see what people were describing, how different it was uh, to compare that, uh, their words in a long description, to what they claimed that the sighting was. And um, then, with that kind of a knowledge, I could, I could uh, uh, possibly compare discs with fireballs and say, this is going down in the same relationship as that's going up. So it was it was a big process, a big big deal, uh, for me to put all this data together. Um, it took me years, believe me, years and years. So do you think this um, was uh, majority was it ET technology or was it human technology, reverse engineered? Did you make any correlation like this seemed to be humans behind this and this seemed to be extraterrestrial? Okay, um, I, I certainly couldn't tell by looking at a database what was what. Um, I had to try to find out um, some other way. Um, I don't know what is being seen in the sky that is uh, human-made. I can imagine. I could guess that maybe that one is, but that's all I would have. I wouldn't have data like I would have on a database that someone saw something. Um, I could only surmise. Um, I believe that there are a lot of um, a lot of sightings that are indeed uh, man-made that are now in the sky that can't be explained. Um, but not all of them. Uh, I believe that the UFO sightings that that peaked around 2012 um, peaked because. Uh, there was some effort by some visiting race to do a scan, a survey, or whatever it was of our planet, and that's why we had a peak in sightings. Did that answer your question? 
yeah, interesting. So, um, so your your thought is that there was a survey of some kind. TJ, uh, in your research and what you know, can you determine which ones are human based and which ones are extraterrestrial? <laughs> it depends on a lot of factors for me. Uh, I'm like everybody else. Oh, can you hear me? Yep. Uh, can you hear yes. me? Yes. Okay. Yes. Did, uh, yeah, it really depends because when I started out, I had seen a triangle fly overhead when I was in my uh, 84, and right overhead made no sound, but it was really low, really low. I mean, it went, it made sure that uh, it wanted me to know. I can't tell you whether it was of uh, Earth origin or other than Earth origin. Uh, regarding uh, what I've seen as far as white light in Rochester in the 80s, when my first with my children, uh, there was a big white light and two red things came out. I still to this day couldn't tell you if it was Earth origin, but to me it looked like nothing that I'd ever seen in the world. So you have to go by the perception and the filters of your own mind's eye, of course, in each individual. But uh, I don't know how to explain anything that we see with our eyes, but I do know that UFOs, the way that we think of them, flying saucers, in the history of the UFO Association is definitely uh, something not of uh, – I you know, this is my own opinion, is that if we don't recognize it as something we've, we've uh, in our culture, like airplanes, uh, helicopters, jets, uh, nowadays – uh, we have to look for those little things like children have, but also the drones that the adults have. A man's being tried for, you know, talking about drones now. It's become very real. But, you know, we can see all kind of things that may be man-made. But I pretty much know when I'm around something because I get a different feeling and a different awareness. But I think, Janet, you should answer that, too, and so should Tom, because I know what we're talking about, but it's you have to break it down, definitely. So let's just say there's those we know are made by uh, special black ops, possibly, uh, on the Earth, and then those that aren't. That's my personal opinion. How about you, Janet? And Tom? Okay. Okay. Who do you want us to, who do you want to go first? Well, go ahead, Janet, because he was telling us what all he's done, and I'm very, very impressed. And I can imagine it's taken him years. But how do you perceive it? Because you know, you I know I've been with you on the phone when you've seen one out your window, but you knew. I mean, we just know people. I don't know, but it's up to each individual to explain it. We know that's why we're all here tonight. Well, to me, it's kind of like a, it's like an energy that. First of all, when I have contact with a, a real craft, you know, one that's extraterrestrial, I'm simultaneously often getting telepathic communication. So when I was on the phone with you and the craft appeared on my front porch, so to speak, and I was on my window, um, I had telepathic communication with him at the same time that I was talking to you. So um, there was one that I had in 1966 when I was 12 years old, and I saw it because it contacted me first, uh, and I turned around. Now, that was a cigar-shaped craft, and it was low enough that I could see inside, like, the windows, and I saw little beings that were definitely not human. Um, they, they looked like the uh, large-headed um, grays, and I couldn't see every detail because, you know, it was on the ground, and they were treetops, but what I could see, you know, gave me the impression that was definitely extraterrestrial. 
so that's kind of how I know it, but, you know, everybody has different experiences. I know that um, they have the TR3D and the SR11 and other craft, the, the triangular craft tend to be reverse engineered, but the, that means they originally, the original craft was the extraterrestrial and it was triangular. So, yeah, it's very confusing, and I just wondered if you had made any headway on identifying it because you've uh, researched it at a much deeper level than I have. I haven't had time to do what you did. That was years ago, and we really appreciate that you did that for the UFO community. So thank you for that. So I'll pass this off and stick to you, Tom. Okay. Um, I don't have a handle on um, on uh, feelings that I may have when I see a craft. I haven't seen a craft uh, uh, within um, uh, maybe closer than a mile away. Um, so I never really got the feeling uh, from that from that uh, uh, craft that I was looking at. Um, so. I don't have anything to add in that regard. Um, um, I, I, I have noticed that uh, during some of the interviews that I did with uh, people who were abducted, um, I took away from that a whole lot of emotional baggage. Um, and uh, for the most part, uh, some of what people have told me um, really rang true uh, from what you just described, Janet. Um, and uh, like I said, I, I wish I had seen them closer because I probably would have um, gathered something from them. Um, uh, the one thing that I saw that was extremely close, I don't think that it was an actual... Uh, craft per se. I think it was some sort of uh, operated drone um, uh, because it came right up to my windshield and then took off in another direction. And the thing wasn't any more than about six inches wide. So uh, that that certainly wasn't uh, uh, created by someone. But if it had been a craft involved with with an entity, I probably would have felt something off of it. Right. Yeah, well, I how did you can add, I mean, the feelings right. that I have when I'm uh, with the craft, it's, it's almost like it's comforting. It feels, feels like home, <laughs> very, like natural. Uh, it says natural is, you know, walking in my own yard and going to the hotel. It's There's nothing frightening. It's, it's very... Warm, uh, warm fuzzies. Um, in in some ways, I have a longing like that's even even more um, comforted than me than than the earth because the earth is so violent right now, and the beings that I'm interacting with are very peaceful and loving, and they don't they don't even have violent thoughts. You can feel that. Like um, being around them, I notice that when I'm back into a closed society, like the human society, where the minds are shut down and compartmentalized and people have hidden parts, it's almost like, wow, that's more frightening than being in a culture where everything's open and you can, you're telepathic, you can, you can really, really know what a person's thoughts are through the level um, of the fight or flight 
think the you know feeling safe and you know you know you're you're not in any trouble there because you can tell what they're thinking and sure. and their thoughts are just um, kindness and love and you know acceptance and yeah so I I've just recently been commenting on that to my husband I said I, I was walking on this other ship or another planet and I a lot of this still happens I know I'm in my 60s right now and it still happens because now. I'm not like an anti-genetic pyramid. I'm just a, I'm, I'm there to like on an ambassador level, and, and I'll come back. And I said that was just amazing because there was just absolutely no negativity coming from anybody, and I can't quite describe what that's like being in a on a planet where there's no violence. It's just uh, it's like an amazing breath of fresh air and and sunshine. It, I can't explain it. It's it's just um, it makes you cry when you leave it. Like, oh, this is how we we can be. We can be so kind and negative thoughts coming at us. Okay, somebody else. Take it away. <laughs> okay, Tom. I'm uh, sorry. I'm getting an incoming call. And I have to block them. Yeah, I heard. Like, people know okay. on a level that I'm on the radio. They always uh, contact me when I'm on the radio. <laughs> okay. Murphy's Law. Right, yeah. Go ahead. Right. Well, uh, Tom, what would you like to share with us tonight? Because uh, it's going to, usually these shows go really by fast, but people really love ufology and uh, they want to hear what we know that we work with. And you've been studying this now. Uh, you're welcome to come on one day on UFO Association, and I can post this uh, show on UFO Association under your name if you'd like. Uh, to be affiliated with that particular website, but what is it that you would like to share, you know, compared to all these friends of mine that are called ufologists or historians? Do you feel like you're uh, more of a historian, or how would you like to deal with this? Because you worked with Honeywell in the Navy, but I'd like to see how you want to build your history. I mean, I'm looking for how we're all the same and yet different, if you know what I mean. You know, like, why are we here? Where are we going? What are we going to do when we leave this earth? And I've got some stories inside me that I haven't even put together yet, but I want to. So if you were telling somebody else, let's say from another planet in an, another advanced universe looking down on you, how would you say, you know, you came down here to the planet and what you were doing here, what made you become a ufologist? Oh, okay. Um, well, there was, there's several things at play. Um, first of all, I just knew that they were visiting us. I just knew it. I knew that that uh, it was all real. Um, that um, uh, that uh, there'd be plenty of people who would say it, it's nonsense. But I just knew from the beginning. I just knew in my bones that it was real. So once I got my opportunity. To um, to do my research, I wanted to try to answer the question: Why are they here? Not so much where they are or where they're seen, but I wanted to take all the data that I had gathered from various sources, um, including the National UFO Reporting Center, and look at all of the varying reasons why they could be here. From well, maybe we have diverse people 
Maybe that's what is interesting them. Um, maybe uh, they're concerned with how we're treating our planet. Um, there's a whole lot of uh, pollution going on, um, not to mention uh, how we keep dumping stuff into the air that's uh, uh, probably responsible for climate change. Um, the areas where there is protection for our resources. Um, that's another area that's interested me, um, where the air is really clean, because there's a lot of sightings there, too. So I can't just say, oh, they're only looking for pollution, because some of these areas um, um, don't, don't compute based on uh, uh, the premise of, uh, of me saying, oh, they're only looking at pollution. Um, so there's resource protection. There's also uh, power plants. Um, there's a whole lot of problems that we have created ourselves um, by uh, uh, creating AC power and uh, distributing that power. We're, we, we burn coal, for one thing. We have uh, nuclear waste. Um, so some of those are problems and uh, um, that, uh, that a visiting race may want to know what we're doing and why. Um, as far as the nuclear goes, um, we have, uh, uh, or uh, we had a, a whole lot more of these, but we had uh, ICBM sites in uh, mostly uh, the northern part of the U.S., and uh, uh, they were, I guess, uh, technically they were aimed at Russia, and um, that wasn't good. And I'm sure that if you're a visiting race, you don't want to see that going on, um, and you certainly don't want to have an accidental war where it would just ruin the planet. You don't want that, okay? Um, the other thing that I noticed in uh, one of my studies is um, I tried to correlate where earthquakes were happening and whether there were lots of sightings around those earthquakes. Oh. I'm still looking at that data. But nice. one, of the things, one of the things I noticed there, uh, Teresa, was um, I made a map of uh, – of where the earthquake was and where the sightings were for up to five days before, the day of, and five days after. I did not see what I expected to see initially. In other words, you know, large concentrations around um, earthquake events, although the jury is still out on that one. What I did notice was that the sightings seemed to appear in straight lines across the country. Now, what the heck does that mean? Wow, um, I hadn't looked at that. That's okay, that a straight um, line, a light years away comment or no? Well, what I actually think was happening is they're still surveying. They're looking at our planet. They're looking at various things, whether it's the people or the 
or the or the uh, military or the power plants or whatever, I think that they're um, using a uh, grid arrangement and they're mapping our planet. And the best way to do that is in straight lines, whether that's horizontal or vertical or uh, at some fixed angle. But what I noticed in a whole lot of my pictures, and I'm about ready to, to put words on the paper with this book, um, is I saw a lot of straight lines, horizontal lines, where the sightings were for that period of time that I mentioned, five days before up to five days after. Now, does that mean that they're, they're flying over these areas and looking at something on our planet? I'm not sure, um, but uh, once I put all of my maps together, I have about 25 of them. Once I do that, and uh, then I'm able to compare the sighting reports uh, with the earthquakes, um, large and small, uh, whether there's swarms of earthquakes, where the sightings are, and um, uh, look at the straight lines that were you know, pretty obvious when I'm looking at the map. Um, I think I'm going to come up with something interesting. I really do. Well, you know, the uh, Earth is 7.83 frequency, and so is our brains, 7.83 hertz. So uh, I'm very curious to see if you've had any findings, uh, because you're into the, I guess, uh, physics of it. And Schumann's wave generators or the Schumann resonance are, and the frequency, because that will go with your grid patterns because of our brains and the earth. Is that something you may want to put into a report? Because I'd be most interested in reading it. If it anything to do with UFOs, I'm interested in the binaural beats, so to speak. Okay. Um, you were referring to the Schumann resonances, right? That and the human brain operates at 7.83. Like you said, okay. you saw the, the line with the grids. I, maybe people don't talk about it. Uh, am I speaking out of turn here? Janet, are you familiar with the brain's rhythm and 7.83 human frequency and the Schumann resonance? Uh, but this is something that goes with ufology. I, maybe I'm too far down the no, path. No, I, I, I wasn't uh, making that connection, but it is a good connection. Um, bear with me, my internet just put down, I'm trying to get my internet back on before I lose signal. Here. Okay. So, um, well, we'll carry on, I'll, I'll, I'll interject at the moment here, I'm just... All right, well, we have, maybe we all three on. need to study that Schumann resonance is the pulse of the Earth at 7.83, okay? So, uh, that was discovered by Winfred Otto Schumann, and so he's a physicist, and I noticed you have the word physics or physicist in here, and you're into, uh... The, the electricity or the grid. So I was wondering if uh, you had something to do with life or nothing like that with uh, the human mind because uh, I'm just getting into that myself. So I really can't, uh, other than, you know, my own. You, you, you know what I'm saying? This ufology is relatively. So wait, so what's the connection you're making between a, a line or the grid? Your logic. The grid. Right, oh, yeah, because you're so. Yeah, we have a grid which connects 
it's kind of like the um oh how did it showing uh, it like it's I have like to the world and you see her the movie the grid connects uh, the grid on the planet connects with the grid in the universe so everything's connected and and where you go in and, and out it's the singularity you know it's the is the, is the like the wormhole the, the singularity it's the connection <laughs> the portals and yeah. they're connected not just around the earth there's a grid you know we've seen the grid lines on the earth so maybe what you're getting Tom is that these sightings are, are appearing along the grid lines uh, could very well be I'm, I'm, I've, I've tried correlating them to several different things, um, uh, such as the, uh, um, the uh, parallels around the Earth, um, like the 37th and 36th and 38th parallel, uh, where uh, someone wrote a book that there's a lot of sightings along that parallel highway, so to speak. Um, I'm seeing these straight lines all the way up and down the East Coast. And they extend all the way out to uh, the central U.S. Um, and I would expect them to extend all the way to the West Coast. But once you get out to the central U.S., there's a whole lot fewer people to see sightings and report them. So right. then I'm going to, you know, uh, a, a very sketchy data. And it really wouldn't be fair to say, oh, yeah, the straight line goes from here to here. Uh, because I just don't have that data. But well, we use I'm, the 36 parallel for the southern. We we call it the Sun Belt across the United States. Okay, so huh? I don't know that the 36 parallel you said is very popular. I was just commenting that we use that as the Sun Belt across the uh, United States. It's it's sort of a a rough northern boundary for the Sun Belt. Below this below I'm living the South. I've lived below the Sun Belt, below the 36 parallel. Does that make sense, how I'm saying it? There's a lot of stuff above in the United States, but Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, Arizona, we're all down south of the 36th parallel. Run straight through the middle of the United States. 36th yeah, parallel, um, great. A lot of the uh, sightings that I saw are right either above or below um, the various parallels that um, that uh, we were seeing here, uh, such as the one parallel goes across the northern border of Arizona and New Mexico and Oklahoma and extends across the U.S. into an area above North Carolina, just slightly above uh, North Carolina. Once you get below uh, that area, you have a tremendous amount of sightings in North Carolina and Tennessee. But right, right. around that line, line, you have almost nothing. And then when you get above it, you have a whole bunch of them. So I'm not so sure that those parallels are exactly uh, coincident with, with uh, sightings. I think they're probably more coincident with any tunnel structures that are created under the U.S., well, Santorini, Greece, has the same 36 parallel. That's where we say that uh, the first big city or the capital of Atlantis was. And, uh, you know, I don't know in today's, I mean, start a whole new feud over where, you know, Atlantis, it was like Mu. They say it was the whole planet before it was uh, broken up into continents. But uh, 
Santorini's right there at the 36 parallel. So you're saying you do have more UFO sightings, 36, 37th, and 38th. But that is very interesting. Yep. Yeah. And um, I know someone's written a book about that already. And uh, as a matter of fact, there's probably been multiple books. But um, I have hesitated looking at their book and trying to quote people. I want to do my, my research completely on my own. Uh, although I'm aware of what other people are doing, I try not to um, look at More their book and make my thing. data <laughs> – Make theirs. You know, I try to agree with their stuff. I don't want to do that. Uh I want to look independently and then come up with what I have. And if it agrees, then, whoa, we got something. Nice. Okay. Well, we all have a reason to be here, and that's sort of why I I like doing these shows. Number one, it keeps my brain active, and number two, it keeps me in touch with my friend Janet and all the uh, others out there that are doing radio (laughs) now, podcasting, but... Uh, really, Tom, we hadn't talked in so long. I I don't even know if you had books written by the first time you came on here. I know you were working really on that. I remember. Ma- well, I've been doing radio since 2012 with Janet. So when uh, when did you write your books? What years? Wow. Um, let's see. I honestly don't remember. I think this the first book I wrote. Uh, volume one was done in 2014. Let me go on Amazon. I'll just research you real quick here. I'll pull you up on my trusty new computer here. Amazon, Thomas, is it Thomas? Is there initial or just Thomas Conwell? Uh, Well, you may find it as uh, either Thomas Conwell or Thomas W. Conwell. It's been both. Thomas Conwell, uh, Amazon. I'm just going to hit the Thomas Conwell dash Amazon book. They are here, so you must be. Now you, okay, they are here. We need to put. I'll put follow. Now that I'm on the site. Oops. Now it wants my email, and it kicked me into sign in. Jeez. I guess when you hit something, you're going to do be all out. Oh boy. <laughs> there for That's okay. You don't have your picture up, so I want you to. I want to encourage you is the right way to say it live on the air, especially to uh, update your photo on Amazon.com because they are promoting you here. It says they are here, and uh, you've got volume one. It says they're actually here by Mr. Thomas W. Conwell. It is a paperback, very reasonably priced, folks, $12.99. And there's a Kindle. If you're like me, like to read electronically for only four fifty, so that's a good deal. And get involved with him, and I'm sure uh, that he would appreciate you supporting his "They Are Here" book. I imagine it's very good. Give us a little idea of uh, what all uh, you covered in there. You know, not, no, not so much that they don't want to buy the book <laughs> or get it used, but. Just give us give a little idea. Do, are you saying that you've got all these sightings that uh, you're trying to make a point that they are here, right? That this is not a joke. You, you give me your much. interpretation. Yeah, um, I've done several things with um, with uh, the data. Um, I mentioned before I I, I did a historical study. Um, that was important to me because I knew that there were changes going on during the years. Um, 
in the newer books, I've gone to um, a uh, quantity of sightings every year annually, and I put that in one graph for each state. So each state had some sort of a uh, uh, some sort of an idea that you know uh, uh, back in the 70s. Uh, maybe there was a couple little spikes in the 80s, a few more than 90s. And uh, as we uh, went on to about uh, 2013, 14, 15, that's when the real peak happened. And um, that was uh, uh, basically what I looked at with my UFO sighting map. Um, then uh, when I wrote the second book, um, I realized that what I wanted to do was include some of the really cool sightings that people uh, described, and I would have a bunch of those in there, and I even made some comments about um, what I was seeing with those particular sightings, and then I would go into the, um, uh, the data about that particular area, and um, I would look at Maybe if there was plate activity in the in the long um, uh, long ago history that may have been responsible for uh, bringing certain minerals to the surface, or if there was Native American activity, um, uh, perhaps shallow inland seas were made in some areas, and I looked at Superfund sightings, uh, um, which were basically about pollution, and then I included all of the um, all of the uh, government um, uh, military installations because there's a lot of sightings around there. And um, then, uh, then I would go into the next state. And what I wanted to do was, was give an idea of what may be going on um, with, with uh, some of these uh, geographical areas that may interest the UFOs. Again, my idea was I'm going to try to find out why they are here, not the fact that they, that they are here, just period. I want to know, how, know why. Now, with Volume 2, uh, one of the things I did is um, I was doing some research, and I found some, um, some very interesting uh, things uh, in the Native American studies. What I found was that the Native Americans were uh, very, uh, very interested in um, their own uh, long ago history, and uh, they had a lot of stories that they told of um, right after the uh, uh, right after the major floods. Um, one of the stories uh, was that they were taught how to how to live uh, pretty much by um, people or things that came out of the ocean and taught them. Well, that interested me because I've always been uh, always been curious about uh, USOs, things that are under the water. Right. So, are they the same things? So then I started looking around, 
in a lot of different areas, and I found other stories that agreed with what the Native Americans were saying. In other words, if I went over to um, to uh, some of the areas in um, um, northern Africa, I would find the stories of people that came out of the water, the people that were half man and half fish. Well, I don't know that they were necessarily half fish. I think probably because they came out of the water, it probably confused the people that saw them. So there, there was that scenario. And um, I also started looking around for other, other stories. Well, I found the same story that occurred in, um, in uh, Iraq. Um, Ooh, really? In the uh, Persian, uh, 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 the Persian countries, and the same story also um, appeared in India, and a very similar, not exact, but very similar story occurred in Australia. So the same people from way back when were telling stories that their great ancestors were taught by beings. People, half man, half fish, that came out of the water and taught them how to live, how to set up um, um, their own little governments, uh, how to how to survive the winter, varying things like this. That really interested me. Uh, I knew well, that I was Do you know about the Anunnaki? Do you know about the fish people and the Anunnaki from the old? Yeah, it sounds like what Aki did after the after the flood. Anki came out uh, under the sea and they first face. Yeah, that was confusing. That makes sense. Yep. Janet, yep. turn your and, uh, turn your down a little bit more. You're getting feedback, looping. Or turn okay. Your, yeah, there's something that with you. Feedback. So maybe um, it's me. So I made a small um, um, little grid and my book, and tried to compare the varying things that I had seen in each of the areas, such as, um, well, half man, half fish, and the fact that they were seen in the Sumerian areas, in the Dogon tribe in Africa, the, uh, the Hindus, and the Anishinaabe, and that was the uh, Native Americans who lived primarily or initially in um, uh, along the ocean in, I believe, Nova Scotia area. Is that in your now, second book? Yes, book two. Yep. Wow. So you got some history. You went and did some real research based on yeah. fish people or the uh, ETs with the flippers or Aquaman. Or <laughs> yeah, it, it's really, really crazy. As soon as I started um, uh, doing this research and saw all these comparisons um, that were the same across the whole world, boy, oh, boy, it felt like somebody lit my hair on fire. I was really wow. interested. Now, in addition to um, um, describing the people that were half man, half fish, they were also described as iridescent, that they glowed. And this was also described um, uh, by the Sumerians um, 
that uh, the people there mined for gold, and they were called the Shining Ones. Um, the Hindu was the Hindu god Brahma, who's golden in color. The Anishinaabe, um, which, um, which uh, actually taught the Algonquin, they were radiant and iridescent. The Sioux described them as golden eagle and golden feathers. The Natchez tribe says bright and may have come from the sun. So there's all these little references to the same things. Now wow. we have now we have seven gods. That's another reference. The seven gods were a Sumerian described seven sages. The Dogon tribe described seven amphibious creatures. The Hindu was seven great sages or the seven stars of the Big Dipper. The Anishinaabe, again, which were uh, taught the Algonquin, <clears throat> they were described as the seven Mijis, M-I-I-G-I-S, which were half man, half fish. Uh, the Sioux I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry. You said Magis, or do they say Magis uh, any other place, or Mages or Magis? You said M-I-I-G-I-S. Okay, Anishinaabe. How do you spell that? A-N-I-S-H-I-N-A-A-B-E? Is that the Native American Thunderbird tribe? Oh, Janet, I haven't heard this. Now, you're the first one. I mean, I've listened to a lot of uh, stories from Indians here and there, but they never really put it together like you're putting it together with the iridescent yeah. beings. But they, uh, you've done all this, and the people can find it, but you pulled the – what you did is pulled your research together in a book, right? That's why they want to buy the book, right? Yep. Um, now, <clears throat> there was also two other things that um, – that they all talked about. Um, the Dogon tribe described a cosmic egg. The Hindu was a cosmic egg of gold. The Anishinaabe was a turtle shell, where they stated that the entire world was created on the back of a turtle. Um, the Sioux um, uh, described the heavenly origin of the egg-shaped. Now, distance and time. This was the last uh, sort of link that I found with all these. Everything occurred at the approximate time of four to 6,000 BCE, before the Common Era, which was right after the Great Flood. Now, um, one of the things yes. that I came across when I was – that when makes I sense. That ties, in, that ties into the Anunnaki. This is great. I love your summary. It's great. Go ahead. Okay. Um, and the other thing that I found is when I started doing research into the Native American tribes <clears throat> is I came across um, a prophecy uh, out of the Anishinaabe, which is what the Algonquins called themselves, um, and this prophecy was called the Seven Fires Prophecy. What's that? Now, in the first fire, um, think of it as an event, okay? Um, they described fires as events. 
because when they got together for a big meeting, they had a fire. Okay, so that, that's how this terminology came across. So in the first fire, the Anishinaabe nation will rise up and follow the sacred shell of the lodge. This lodge will serve as a rallying point for the people and will be the source of much strength. The sacred Mejus will lead the way to the chosen ground of the Anishinaabe. Now, this ground that they were talking about, where they were first taught by the beings from the sea, um, this came from, um, uh, like I said before, uh, uh, southern Canada and northern um, uh, north of that into Nova Scotia area. Um, the second fire, they live by the Atlantic Ocean, and you will know the second fire because at this time the nation will be camped by a large body of water. Now, they started um, emigrating. Maybe emigrating is not the right word. They, they, they started moving um, uh, their, their tribes uh, down the St. Lawrence Seaway. And um, I believe what they're referring to by this camped by a large body of water is because they started moving uh, down towards the Great Lakes. Um, the third fire, a trek from the Atlantic Ocean along the St. Lawrence Seaway to new, new lands in Michigan, Minnesota, and Canada. Um, at the same time, uh, on Facebook, I came across a young girl who was into the paranormal, and she's also a, um, a, a very powerful psychic, um, a Cheryl Lynn Carter. She lives in Michigan, I believe, and she was raised um, uh, hearing the stories of the, I believe, the Chippewa tribe. And they, they talked about all these things. Now, in this third fire, they're going to find a path to their chosen ground. The fourth fire, um, um, they told the coming of the light-skinned race. Well, you know what happened there. Um, none of that was good. Um, then the in the fifth fire... Race. Uh, is that from in European, the, the people that came from um, Europe, maybe? Tell us about yep. the white skin or what they said. They meant when, like, Columbus came over or were yep. they Spanish? Now they, uh, the, they, were, they, they described the light skin race. Um, they said that in good, they will provide, at times, peace and brotherhood. But in bad... Their hearts may be filled with greed for the riches of the land. If they are indeed your brothers, let them prove it. Do not accept them in total trust. Um, and that is what Cheryl told me in her stories when they, when they described the seven fires prophecy. Now, the fifth fire, I'm eventually getting to the seventh one, um, in the time of the fifth fire, there will come a time of great struggle that will grip the lives of all Native people. Well, we know that after the coming of the light-skinned race, the Native Americans were pretty much wiped out and relegated to just certain areas. 
um, a promise that was given to them will prove to be a false promise. All those who accept the promise will cause the near destruction of the people. Um, that there was a lot promised to them and these things didn't work out. Then we have the sixth fire. The elders talk about it was um, the Native Americans were sent to the white people's schools and they learned the way of the white people and there was also some a great sickness that visited um, the Native Americans. Uh, I believe that this was because the Europeans had been um, had been exposed to the um, uh, uh, the plagues, and they 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 developed a uh, um, an immunity, but. The Native Americans hadn't been exposed to that, and it pretty much wiped out a lot of the Native American race. Now we go to the seventh fire, and this is basically where we are today. If the new people, meaning the Native Americans, will remain strong in their quest, the water drum will again sound its voice, basically saying that um, the Native American ways will become prominent again. There will be a rebirth of the Anishinaabe Nation and a rekindling of old flames. The sacred fire will again be, be lit. Now, what Cheryl told me is that um, she related stories uh, during uh, what she termed as a sweat lodge um, that if they followed the seven gifts seventh fires uh, that they were, they, were, they were told about, then they'll be taken from the earth by our returning gods from the sky, and we will be protected. In other words, they'll be taken off the earth, protected, and the remainder of the earth will experience a reset. And I, the same way? Does it say Any dates no. involved? No, 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 no. Now, the, 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 oh, in the seventh fire, <laughs> they, they extend for long periods of time. But this was this was very interesting for me when when I heard this stuff, and uh, boy, I, I changed all my thinking about um, about Native Americans and Native American elders and everything else. This was a real eye opener for me. Well, yeah, that's, me too. So this is. Absolutely amazing. So, and you put it in your book, right? Yep, yep. I was pretty much reading from like the last um, uh, groups of uh, uh, quotes in the last uh, fifteen pages. Wow, Janet, any questions or comments? Well, I think we have a lot to learn. Oh, geez. Did he that? Um, hold on, let me try moving. Hold on. So, that all ties in with the Anunnaki story, and it makes sense. I don't know why I'm getting all this feedback. <laughs> yeah. 
don't know. I'll just shut up and listen. <laughs> well, it it ties in, Janet. You're right, and I've got you down as low as I can go on my end. So I don't know what's causing that. Oh, it's on your end because I just turned it off. I turned it off, and it's coming from your end. I'm on mute. All right. Okay. Wonder why. Well, I've got my headset in, but uh, the one on the. Can you hear me okay? I don't know how to control that. All right. Well, uh, Tom, I guess you better talk for a while then. Just uh, give us some more. I like the fish stories. So keep going on the fish, if you will. Yeah. um, um, I didn't get a whole lot more than that, um, other than the fact that. when I was looking at the sighting reports and creating my map, um, there were stories out of each and every um, each and every state where people were looking out on the water and they would see these glowing craft uh, descend down into the water. And this was happening in lakes, in the ocean, um, uh, all over the place. And um, this was uh, this was probably uh, uh, one of the things that have interested me the most about the UFO sightings, because I believe that when they came to this planet, they were probably part of a water world, and they just feel more at home there. And um, uh, they also probably re- require uh, huge amounts of fresh water. Um, in order to uh, survive, uh, and that may be in regard to their ships and uh, uh, requiring water to cool them, and um, they may actually have to have a fresh water piped through their ships um, in order to survive. That's all I can figure, uh, because they sure do like it underwater. Very interesting stuff, let me tell you. I'll try to talk again. Hopefully you won't get feedback. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, these stories correlate with the Anunnaki story. So, Eki is known as, Aquarius is also known as Neptune Poseidon. And he was giving, he was called the Lord of the... um, seas, you know, Lord of the Ocean, Lord of the Earth, but he was given the seas. So apparently, you know, he established colonies not only on, you know, the islands and the lands by the seas, but also under the water. And he was a geneticist, so he played with combining DNA, so he apparently created the Mer people, um, or maybe he encountered the Mer people. So there's a story of the Anunnaki working with the Murphy, the Merman. So you have all these depictions throughout time, and we dismiss them as mythological, but they probably still do exist. But they definitely were more prominent. Um, so what happened after the flood, which they they couldn't prevent, but they felt responsible for humanity because they were the creators of the modern version of humanity. And so they they uh, they gave uh, a civilization after the flood. So they gave us 
uh, sumer and technologies, and so they wanted to up-level us. Because we were we were pretty primitive before then, so they wanted to up-level us. So they gave us grains and and animal husbandry. They, they brought down sheep and cows and goats, and you know they increased our food production so that would allow us to increase our production. And like they uh, like uh, God said after the flood, God who was Endel, uh, Camilla and his wife and survived the flood said, go forth and be fruitful and multiply. But I don't think they meant us to produce 10 billion people. So enough, enough, enough. <laughs> but they did start providing us uh, technology and food so we could create a larger population. And maybe that's a safeguard against these catastrophes that apparently happen periodically. And this uh, latest disaster that may be coming upon, you know, debate is, is it human caused or is it something from the solar system? It's all of the above, you know, we're certainly not helping the world by polluting it and destroying all the life uh, systems. But uh, anyway, that's my thoughts on it. What about you, CJ? Are you still getting feedback? Are you there, CJ? Teresa? Hello? Did we lose our host? <laughs> okay. Don't carry on. Um, I think she, I'm trying to see what happened there. Maybe she dropped off. It's her show. I don't know if we're still broadcasting. Let's see. Um, I see we're still broadcasting. So this is your, what is the name of this book that has this information? Okay, that, that that book that book was They Are Here, Volume Two, Central U.S. UFOs, Volume Two. Okay, so you go into the history of all these people. Okay, so I'm going to go on here and see if we're still broadcasting. Oh, bear with me. We may have lost this connection altogether. We're just having a conversation. We're live. I'm sorry. We're live. Okay. Oh, sorry. I just went to the bathroom. We I didn't want to interrupt anybody. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we thought we lost connection. Where are we? Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> anyway. My bad. Okay, go ahead. Oh, you bad girl. You I was, bad girl. <laughs> I was looking at his books, though, but he's got a lot of good comments. We thought we lost connection. Where are we? Sorry, I anyway. Yeah. Um, I'll get some feedback. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna mute you guys talk for a while. It's like when you came back, I said the feedback again. Yeah, let me turn me off. Go ahead. Actually, sounds like a television. Yeah, something like a television coming in somewhere. I don't know what that is. I don't have a television here. Oh well. Nope. That is strange. That's not. That's not in my house. Where's that broadcasting from? I don't know. I might be just something wrong with the system. All right. Well, let's do that. I'm talking. Um, so you have four books. What's the, uh, the final book? So you did uh, three parts of the country. Yeah, I'm, I'm having trouble hearing you here. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna mute and see if it works. So you, you and TJ talk. I'll try muting. That's what it was, Jane. It was from yep. your end. You got a TV on? 
That's odd. Hey, no, um, yeah. no TV. I don't even know the TV. Wow. wow. So that's coming from Hawaii. I guess it bounces up and hits the satellite. Tom, you, did you do any of that work in Honeywell by any chance or security um, software? I, I, no, not, I did not work with televisions um, uh, or, or radio or satellites. However, what I did was um, I worked a little bit, um, uh, well, I guess about half my time with Honeywell, I was in the in, uh, in a peripheral way, I was in the um, um, space program, and I did a lot of a lot of uh, work in uh, recording of data from uh, various things that were sent up in the space. And um, then I changed divisions in Honeywell, and then I went into uh, building uh, temperature control. Well, tell us about um, the space. Like, like the, the great big tall buildings and and um, uh, temperature, fire, and security. Tell us about this space stuff because we're all space advocates. What what if anything did you have to do with space? You mean like okay. NASA stuff or not? Yeah, sort of. A- um, uh, one of the things that I was responsible for repairing was a large ta- tape recorder. Now. The only way this was back in the let's see when did I start? So this was back in the 70s. Um, the only way that they could record information from satellites, and they were figuring out as as uh, how to how to uh, store all this stuff on a satellite and then download it um, to a uh, to a land-based thing um, is one of the one of the things I worked on was a huge tape recorder, and it would take the data that the satellite looked at, like pictures and whatever else. And as it got over the um, over the um, the land area that um, uh, the satellite was going over, it would dump all of its data into um, the um, uh, the land-based um, areas, and um, it would take that data and put it directly on our tape recorders. Well, was, was it was the Navy for, or Honeywell? Was it Navy uh, or Honeywell or something else? This is with Honeywell. Wow. This is, I didn't know they yeah, did that. Yeah, strictly with Honeywell. Yeah. Um, uh, they, didn't, they didn't work with... with um, satellites and the military for too long in the work that I was doing. Um, we worked about 15 years, I guess, and then they sold that division off to another group. So either I had to change companies, which I wasn't willing to do because I had a great retirement program, or stay with Honeywell and switch jobs. So that's what I ended up doing. So uh, satellite communications, it says Honeywell Aerospace, aerospace.honeywell.com. Good lands. I would never have known that if you hadn't come on our show. Honeywell's new satcom system brings worldwide voice. Well, you'll have to look into that since you worked for Honeywell, and you're obviously going to keep talking. And So you're actually a good spokesperson having done that. I would never have known uh, Honeywell was even in the running. 
much less technology. Yeah, um, we had a we had a lot of recording devices, and we recorded everything from uh, satellites flying overhead and dumping data to um, to EKGs and doing heart studies. Good lands. Well, yeah, we, we, we did everything. For I mean, everything. Any anything that you could get uh, th- this data and record it. To look at later, that was Honeywell. It says just October 24th that uh, one of their press releases uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, PRWAR News, they got out there and said that uh, they announced Honeywell Robotics, an advanced technology center of excellence focused on innovating and developing artificial intelligence, machine learning, computer vision, and advanced robotics for use across supply chains. Based in Pittsburgh, Honeywell or Honeywell Robotics will help shape the warehouse and distribution center of the future. Whoa. So Honeywell up yeah. and coming. Guess we better go grab some stock, folks. <laughs> Honeywell safety um, I may not be allowed to say that. I was kidding, but Honeywell Safety <laughs> and Production Solutions and Honeywell dot com. So uh Seemed like, weren't they in the cash register business or something? I'm trying to remember where I know the name Honeywell. It was um, around NASA back in the it, 60s and 70s. Um, mostly, uh, you see the word Honeywell uh, all over the place because they're on thermostats. Oh, okay. But they do have an aerospace and defense uh, Oh, yes, they do. Division. Yeah. 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 But uh, I would I would never have thought that. This is very interesting. Uh, they have a customer portal, defense, cybersecurity. My goodness, sensors and switches, space. Well, well, well. Move over. Yeah, they're Hamilton, into all kinds right? of stuff. Uh, it's a uh, it's a very big company, and um, they have some of the best engineers in the world. Wow, they got some nice photos in their blog of men in space. This is a trip of the stuff. Yeah, there's so much to know out there. You would agree with that, right? And oh, yeah. And it's over there in Hawaii. You know, I love Hawaii, and it's like heaven on earth. You know, it's like, I mean, it's just beautiful. I saw some of the most beautiful plants in the world. And I love Oahu. I guess it rains more where she's at in Maui, but we get a lot of television shows from the big island of Maui now. But that reception she's getting, I swear, Janet, you may want to call back in because it sounds like you're, uh, background was like somebody's TV communication coming across your phone wire, and I don't know enough about this stuff. I just know that she has a rough time in Hawaii. Now, does it go up and hit a satellite that's her phones over there and sell? Because it's not going under the ocean, right? It's going. I honestly don't know how they do that from there. Um, they they probably put it up the satellite, so that would be the easiest way. Um, but they certainly could be under underwater from there to to um, the West Coast. Mainland? Sure. That's amazing. Well, I'm glad you brought up uh, – You, I hope you will do some type of uh, article at least on uh, – it says, when failure is not an option, you can count on Honeywell to provide custom-engineered space products that perform with reliability and consistency. I need to – there's so much for me to know these days in ufology, Tom, and how we can bring it to reality is to actually go out like you do and find the historical origin 
of what we've been dealing with in space and bring it back into this 3D dimension. And apparently aerospace and defense is doing that. We work with a lot of people and veterans that want to help and contribute, you know, across all branches and all intelligence agencies. And, you know, we're pretty much patriots. We want to get, we want to see, uh, as most people say, the Trekkian, Janet, I have to turn back on, but Star Trekian lifestyle. You watched Star Trek, didn't you? Oh, I um, never missed an episode. Yeah, me and Janet were like that. So, you know, I, I hope something comes on better than whatever it is we don't have right now. Are you up on anything going on on that? I don't know if Janet is or not, but uh, what's coming in the future? Or do you get into the future? With You said they're here. I've always thought yeah. me and Janet... I feel like we're extraterrestrials, Thomas, to be honest. I just don't know how to bring it to the forefront. I've heard a lot of people describe themselves that way. I wanted to try talking again. If this doesn't work, I'll call back in. But they're coming out with a uh, new season of Picard. You know, the second generation captain Picard. And so that looks pretty promising. And so they're going to pick up some of that, you know, original story there and bring in new information. They have all these new technologies for doing the animation and the ships. And so it's very exciting. That, I think, is going to be on CBS. And I believe it's coming in November. And here comes the interference again. So I say it's been there for us. Janet, call back in. Would you do that? I will. Call back okay. in. Okay. Thanks. I think it's just her line. Yeah, we'll just yeah I'm not pretty sure of it. Uh, I can hardly what tell they her do when they, when, when, they, when they have multiple lines, uh, 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 multiple conversations, run across uh, the same wire. And they separate them by uh, tiny frequencies and modulate the frequency and then decode it at the other end. And sometimes they get a little mixed up, and that's what it sounded like was happening there. I've never it heard used of to be called, It used to be called single sideband. Now, I don't know if they use single sideband um, and uh, uh, transmission along the wires, but it's some sort of um, uh, small, uh, 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 small changes they do to the frequency, and then they undo it at the other end, and it's probably just mixed up with something. Well, do you know anything about blockchain or the blockchain technology or definition or anything about what they're doing with uh, blockchain uh, records and call box and LinkedIn cryptography or any of that stuff? Or you never looked into it? No, no, I've never been uh, messing with that at all. Okay. Well, you know, we have, there's so much out there. We can't get to everything, folks, but we hope you'll – Keep tuning in to everything you need to know that we will try to find an answer for. And you're always welcome to call in the last hour if you want. The number call in is 347-945-7207, especially for Janet Carolusson in Hawaii, my co-host that had a lot of interference, which we're trying to figure out. So I was trying to uh, pick uh, Tom's minds here. Thomas Conwell's with us, and he is a wonderful ufologist and author. And now. Let's get back to you. Uh, we've got four books, but I think we're going to all be interested, definitely. I mean, his map, he's got a lot of people say it's uh, 
sort of like advanced reading, I guess, but he has some wonderful comments on Amazon. Thomas, you said W. Conwell, right, Tom? Yes, yeah, yeah. Now, give us the name of your second book, and are you working on a fourth book, or is that has nothing to do with UFOs? Okay, well, um, yeah, let me give you the names of the books again. They are here, East Coast UFO, Volume 1. They are here, Central U.S. UFOs, Volume 2. They are here, Western U.S. UFOs, Volume 3. My fourth book is called Going Interstellar. And that's a collection of blogs that I wrote about um, um, various technologies and stuff like that and and tried to describe uh, if you know very little about UFOs or maybe how electronics interacts with all this stuff and maybe physics. I try to write little blogs um, describing each of the little aspects of physics that you would really have to understand if if you want to understand the whole UFO question. Now, those are my four. Wow. Well, congratulations. We haven't talked in a long, long time. You have really come a long way, baby. So oh, yeah. I'm glad. Now, you want me to list you in our UFO association because you've done a lot of work. I'll, oh, it's sure, free. Why I'll not? just have to go over there. All right, I'll go over there and make you a page. It won't be in the next day or two, but I'll get you up there with your links and you know your bio and your book list. I, I went to okay. half the world already, but it's just getting around to it, and I sit here all day, but uh, right now I've got family, and I haven't seen in like 20 years. I've got to go over to my daughter's in about 30 minutes to go see my sister driving around an RV. Her husband was a forensic scientist in Lubbock, Texas, and they moved to Austin, Texas. He worked for the Department of, well, he worked for state, Texas State Department of Public Safety, I believe, but he was a forensic scientist before they had the movie Bones, but I used to see him in a lot of television documentaries. His name's Jim Thomas, and then Brenda, my sister, she was a nurse and ran hospitals in different groups. Oh, much better, Janet. No sound. I that figured it out. Somehow, when I was fixing the internet, it turned on uh, the sound on the computer, which I didn't think it could do both the headset on the phone and the computer. So I was holding the headset, and I couldn't hear that it was coming from the computer. It was was actually feedback um, through blog talk, because I had blog talk pulled up on the computer. But it had, uh, my internet had checked out, so I was listening to the show on the phone, and then when I fixed the internet, when it came back on, it turned my volume back on. I've never seen that before. Normally, if you turn off the volume, <laughs> it doesn't turn the volume on again when you reconnect to the internet. Anyway, my apologies. I didn't know it was coming from my side because I couldn't hear. Cause they I didn't know I what was going on. Both. It, was, it was a feedback loop from the show because somehow the volume went up on the computer when I had turned it off. So remember I told you my internet went out, so I had to go fix that, um, which is, you know, plugging in the router back and forth. Okay, so I'm going to – I have somebody coming at the appointment that I thought was going to be after the show, but they are coming. So I'll stay until they text me, which will be here soon. Anyway, let's um, – we're almost going to home stretch. So what right. What else do we want to talk yes. about here? Okay, well, uh, my, my uh, next book um, – uh, my next book, I'm actually writing two at the same time. Um, the next one will be about 
um, Earth earthquake study um, and uh, uh, whether UFOs are gathering around uh, the location of earthquakes. And um, the other book that I'm like parallel writing, I'm doing like two at the same time. Um, the other one, um, what I've done is taken some of the crazy, crazy UFO sightings that have been described on um, on um, uh, the Internet? National UFO Reporting Center and oh. talking Search about um, talking about how a UFO could possibly do what the person described. In other words, what did they do? Well, there's what all kinds of them. Uh, like uh, if if what, let's say one went across the sky, stopped, moved at a 90 degree angle. What kind of technology would be involved with that? And I, that's what I, I, I talked about. I had a UFO. Um, it came. It was under my tree in the jungle. I don't know. How did you do that? You couldn't have possibly flown down there. But it 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 like dematerialized, materialized on the ground right under my window. Because I heard it, and then I I was telepathically communicating with it. I go, it sounds like you're coming from under my the tree. And it responds, yes, I'm under the tree. And I'm going, how did you do that? But they don't really respond in English. They kind of give you impressions. So my impression was it materialized there. So I guess they can dematerialize and materialize wherever they want to. They don't have to follow a normal flight pattern or even, you know, way of navigating like we expect. Yeah. Um, I've always thought that in order to traverse the huge distances, that they don't use warp drive or anything like that. They just hop into a different dimension where everything is, the, uh, there's no rules of physics that we understand, and they can just go from one end of the universe to the other without any any big deal. And if, right. if they can do that, then they can do anything once they get to the Earth. Yeah, look at the themes theory of everything. That's blowing away a lot of the things we even think in physics. So. A-T-H-E-N-E apostrophe S there for Janet and for Thomas and anybody else listening to me right now out there. Uh, a themes theory, it's really caught my eye. It'll take you several times probably to watch it. It's pretty deep, but it's easy. He's got a nice low voice. So a themes theory, the theory of everything, and uh, he blows some stuff out of the water, but there's also a PDF. But uh, if you're into some heavy reading, uh, it was right up my alley. I like that kind of stuff. And it has to do with, uh, I believe, our interdimensional thoughts and uh, the theory of everything with physics and how do they just move. Now, the ones I was involved with, uh, I understand what you're saying because they had the power to materialize and uh, dematerialize. And I saw that. My husband showed me how it worked. So I was very fortunate to have, I can't explain it. But uh, I sure know it happened. So I don't know what to do with the intelligence I was given. So Janet's been trying to get me to write a book for, God, 15 years, 12 years at least. I don't know, as long as we've been knowing each other back to 2007. I guess we met in 93, no, 94, Janet? 93. Probably met in 93. I came to Oahu in 93, and you were at your spiritual center. And that's when I, yeah. I started going in 93. Yeah. 
you know, and then you came over to the psychic fair we had uh, at the Hawaii right. Hilton so Hawaiian Village. So that was mm-hmm. 1993. That's a long time, but time goes by. But Tom, uh, with us knowing each other, we didn't really know we were in UFOs that much until 2007, I think, through a guy named uh, Benezet over in Kentucky, Earl Benezet. But uh, I, I think we were destined to get back together and start talking and stuff. But you knew me when I lived in my first house, too, though, Janet, and we lost contract. So I don't know how we, God, universe, origin, whatever, just wanted us to keep bumping into each other until we finally got it right. But, Tom, you're a missing link with Janet and I because you've done so much research. And uh, Now, how many years would you say that you've been interested? Were you 10, 12, 8? 14, 28, 48. I don't okay. know how old you are. <laughs> now, um, with uh, with just um, researching the paranormal and UFOs, that is about I'm in about 11 years now. Oh, 11 years! So you're relatively yeah. new at all this. Yep, yep, yeah. Um, but you had I, I, I had too much work to do with Honeywell. It was too difficult, sure. and um, I just. I just didn't have time to have a whole different life. Well, how's this working out for you? Are you trying to uh, – where do you live? Give us some details maybe. And uh, Do you go to the MUFON meetings or the state? What state are you in? Okay, I'm in New York. Oh. Uh, I live in Troy, New York, which is a, a, a smallish town uh, across the river from the state capital of Albany. Oh, so Albany has a MUFON meeting there, you think, at the library or something? No. No, there's no. there's nothing to do with MUFON almost uh, throughout the whole state of New York. Um, they have a they have a New York uh, uh, director, um, and I'm friends with him, and there is an occasional uh, MUFON-related meeting in Syracuse, which I will attend from time to time. Syracuse is about three hours in a car away from me. Ooh, so you'd have to make a weekend or something out of that. Well, well, that's good to know, but with our UFO Association, all I'm going to do is try to get who's who with Jan Aldrich. Are you familiar with Jan up there in Connecticut? Jan uh, Aldrich? Jan. Yeah, the name is sure familiar. I think I met Jan Jan. Before. Jan Aldrich. Yeah, he's all up in that area and been to D.C., and he's been in the business, oh, gosh, 50 years or so, since he was in high school and went to NICAP, he worked with Don Berliner in uh, Washington, D.C., So, and Don Berliner was one of the ones that wrote the book with uh, Stanton T. Friedman years and years ago. I talked to Don years and years ago, but I guess it sounds funny, but I was never in MUFON or, or Two Coast or anything, but uh, I was interviewed by J. Allen Hynek on a plane and uh, the government already knew I'd had UFO interest, and of course I was already in the intelligence community from '67 on with ACIR, and uh, they went out of business, so to speak. And, and they're still in business, but not the way they were in the federal government with NASA and the intelligence community. But uh, I just was always there to be like an independent researcher, investigator, contractor. And uh, they, the government would use people like me, you know, intelligence-wise. So I got to get a lot sure. of places. So uh, and, uh, I'm just amazed that you were in the Navy. Now, what did you do in the Navy? I was a corpsman and a security manager, but then I went into GS and did personnel and information security. 
and then worked with Classified, but I was over at St. Pat Clay ComNav Base and worked uh, NavMar Core SM, and then I worked, uh, well, just working with uh, picking up the Classified and distributing it to the different areas and then having it for my uh, command. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. What did you do? Okay. Well, um, I was an electronic technician, and um, um, one of the things that I learned was um, uh, I was a, uh, a metrologist. Ooh. I don't even know what that metrology is. Metrology is the science of measurement. So Whoa. If, Quite so if you had um, uh, electronic equipment that did measurements, what you would do is bring your equipment to my lab, and I would compare that that piece of electronic equipment to one of a higher accuracy. Nice. Tweaking so that that so that that's pretty much all that I did. Um, uh, compared to, to higher accuracy, and um, uh, we did all of our own troubleshooting. So learned a whole lot about electronics uh, when I did that. I guess. Now, I was flown up to Michigan by a separate company in the cash register business. It wasn't Honeywell. It was National Cash Register, but Honeywell sure seems like I did some stuff with Honeywell, but I did so many things, and I got a lot of training, but uh, metrologist. Now, uh, it can be meaning, pronunciation. Oh, wow. Let me see. Definition, if a piece of the international prototype kilogram snapped off, it would still be defined as a kilogram. What? That ain't it. It says metrology. Is that what it? Metrology. Am I looking at the right thing? Sort of. Metrology. If if you had um, something that was a weight, a frequency, um, some sort of something that you would measure, um, there would be higher standards to compare your equipment too, so that your equipment would be accurate when you used it out in the field. This says a metrologist is one who studies or practices metrology. There's a new <laughs> word for all of us. Yeah. Janet, <laughs> all those space nerds. Metrology. Word of the day, folks. <laughs> and it's provided by Honeywell, believe it or not. Over here, there's a, a, a astronaut bouncing around on a balloon on the, on the moon or something. So Honeywell's really into this human space thing, folks. This space obsessed since 1958. We've been disruptive technology for 60 years, so we should say sponsored by Honeywell today. <laughs> Thomas, Thomas, I guess w, so. Thomas. Now, uh, I'm more. Go back to that Interstellar book. Tell Janet missed that. She was correcting her equipment. Uh, okay. Feedback. What was that book? All right. Well, um. When I first became a ufologist, um, um, what I wanted to do was uh, uh, create some sort of history of writings or something that would give me some some, um, believability, let's say. So what I set out to do is... um, I looked at a whole bunch of different UFO sightings and looked at the descriptions around them and said, well, what I have to do is describe how that ship 
might might be possible for that ship to do what we just saw it do in the air. So I delved into physics and and tried to describe how how these ships could do some really unique things, such as um, I had to look at sound, I had to look at um, a frequency and what frequency meant, uh, life in the universe. I'm looking at the varying things that I uh, that I wrote about. Um, uh, let's see, I described movement and uh, what is momentum and stuff like that, and uh, perhaps what's going on at the ISS, the International Space Station. Um, if a UFO uh, a slash meteor were to enter the uh, uh, were to enter the atmosphere. What would the differences be? What would they look like? Um, the civilization types, as described by Michio Kaku, um, if you went on a trip, what do you need to do? Um, how do you break the speed of uh, light? I described mathematics about 15 different ways. Um, EMF, that's one of my favorite subjects. Um, talk about anti-gravity and time travel and light and um, describe a warp drive, Whoa. how that works. And how many people UFO do batteries. Do, do they, do they have batteries? Uh, do they store, batter, uh, store power, or do they just take it out of the air? Um, how do they appear and disappear? I talked about the Einstein-Rosen bridge and uh, how they may go from one point to another point. Um, let's see. What else? I talk about disclosure and, uh, again, speed of light. Uh, so that, that's pretty much what I, the different topics that I, that I talked about in uh, Going Interstellar. Um, that's my most inexpensive book at this point. That's only $10. But uh, there's some pretty heavy physics in there. Going Interstellar. Well, I'd like to uh, somehow make you a page on UFO Association because you're so much more interesting that you came on acting like. I can't explain it, Janet. You have to get in the meat to what he's writing about, don't you? Right. Well, uh, a lot of yeah, I'll have to get the book and read it. I, I haven't read a book in years. I've been so busy doing all this stuff that I, I scan through it. But it sounds fascinating, and I love your research and um, I've been kind of doing a similar thing, just like correlating all the the history of the. There's the normal history, and then you go through the UFO history and seeing what was the media saying at the time uh, compared to what was going on in ufology. So I've been doing an examination there, and it's just boggling my mind. I, I keep thinking I'm going to get through this, and I, I get. I, I can't imagine when you were reading through those files, just getting lost in them. I'm getting lost in the research right now. It's like the rabbit hole, and I keep going deeper and deeper. It's like, am I gonna get, am I gonna survive this? <laughs> yeah. So, um, my days go by, and it's like, oh, what did I get done? And it's just so, and I'm learning, and I think you do that too, TJ. You just get so wrapped up in this material, and you can fall into the YouTube's about it, and it's like one leads to the next, and. Uh, I think we need all of our geniuses to actually figure out this big puzzle beyond one individual human mind. You know, we have these limited minds. We need to 
I was so excited when you were relating to stuff about what the Native Indigenous people had talked about. It's like, yes, yes, it ties in with the, the Sibarian and the other, and Katie and, and the uh, research that we've done. So we've got a lot of work ahead of us. Well, um, now, uh, Teresa, back in uh, October 24th, I sent you uh, an email, and there was an attachment. And this attachment is the text of my book, Going Interstellar. Oh, cool. Oh, um, well, if probably... I'm not mistaken, I have your, um, Janet, I think I have your email somewhere. And uh, I will send you a copy of that. You know, now that I'm thinking of it, I would not be surprised if I already sent it to you way back. I may have it. it but, you know, things get so lost. So it's not, it wouldn't be, uh, it'd be okay to send it again. <laughs> okay. Things okay. get buried. And there's sometimes where they say, if you don't, Delete stuff now. We're going to charge you extra, and I get into this scramble. Like, oh damn! I want to keep it all, but they make you. They force you to delete stuff. So, it, it, some of the things may have been wiped out in forced deletion from, you know, the system, the computer gods that lead our lives. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're okay. we well, about. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah, we'll have to okay, have back. Um, uh, uh, Jana, what's your email address, real quick? Aquarianradio Aquarian at gmail at gmail.com. Okay, some Experian Radio, you said? No, Aquarian. Aquarian. Oh, Aquarian. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's what it was. I was trying to uh, search it by your name, so. I'm looking at an yeah, attachment, yeah. Tom. Now, is this yeah, the UFO resume doc? Because I've got your picture, your your U.S. copyright and UFO resume, but I don't see a book. So you said you sent it. This is October 22nd. There's only your pic- two pictures and your resume. October 24th. All of that. Oh, okay. October Update. 22nd, I sent you what you described. On October 24th, I sent you the book. Okay, let me see if it's in this string because I see something didn't come through. Let me look. That's uh, let me put your name back up here because I'm. You know how you do in Google, I guess, folks. You know how to do it. But I'm just putting his name and then seeing what all comes up. Uh, the radio program, and uh, there's Janet's twentieth. Dear Janet, so I put to Tom Conwell. On looks like we may have had status update. October twenty fourth radio program. Okay, I'm looking it. Apparently it didn't come through, sweetie. Uh, let me let me see if I can wait. It says attached, but yeah. it it flips. Let me see. It says mail delivery system. It wouldn't come through. It said it was truncated, but well, I've got your three pictures. So it was probably 24th. too big. Oh, let me see. Sorry about this. Let's see. Ufologist. Let me see if this it says. ABG.com. It's just let me know there's no viruses. Darn it. Uh, D, can you put it in a PDF form? It is in a PDF. 
I mean, why didn't it come through? Well, when you send it to Janet, CC me, would you? Because I'd love to use it and get with you and come have you back on and let's break it down. Because you would, seems like if I would have known that, I would have, you know, got back to you. But uh, I'm honest to God, I'm bringing up everything that you have. Do you not see that I responded to it? Do you? Okay. Do you see that I responded? No. No, you yeah, didn't. Yeah, that doesn't make Okay. Uh, I've got, you know, I've got your address here and uh, your picture. It's in my email. It says I can hang out with you. Uh, wait, would it be a UFO story? or is that Yes. It? Yes. Okay. Now, for some reason, there. Now, why is it? That's strange because uh, I hit your picture and it came up. But it's the brand new thing here. Hold on. That's my daughter. Uh, hold on, Angela. All right. Well, uh, okay. Well, I've got it. So uh, great. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll – your wife's beautiful, by the way. Well, I guess we'll get started then uh, having you back again if it's okay. And I'd like to get you back on. Uh, whenever it's convenient for you, and we'll uh, go over some of this stuff. But let me read your book first. Janet, let's sure. put it down maybe, uh, you know, Thanksgiving to Christmas. I don't know if we can find a way in there. But put us down, and me and Janet to get you back on the other radio station, too. Janet, let's have him on uh, Portal Stargate one Thursday if, if uh, you can make it. We've only got two minutes left, but she and I are doing Thursdays on Revolution Radio, and that's 4 to 6 Eastern time. If you can make it on the Thursday, just write it down and then uh, let us know if you've got one available, and Janet and I will uh, put you on our calendars. And that that's in December? If you can. if you, December is okay. rough for people, but if you can find time on a Thursday in December, Janet and I are just starting to book. Okay. So, uh, Alrighty. Yeah, because uh, uh, in in um, in January I'm going I'm going back to work for uh, uh, for Honeywell for about four or five months. So I'm going to be sort of. Yeah. Thanks. And they they call me back every year for a big fire alarm test. So. Well, congratulations. Yeah, well, get, try to see what you can do about space and all that metrology stuff, measuring stuff. <laughs> of course, I guess that's what you can do in fire, too. All right. Well, wonderful. Janet, thank you for joining us. And, Thanks, uh, Janet. Dropped off. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm going to read this book, and I'll make sure she gets a copy if you don't. So, okay, I already sent it to her. Oh, okay, great. Well, we will uh, look, look for you, and just let us know. Look at your calendar for Thursday. Four to six Eastern time with Portal to Stargate with us on Revolution okay, Radio. Thank you. This is right, so RCT Radio. Thank you, Tom. We appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again in the future. And I'm going to write your number down right here before. Uh, oh, I better not put it there. Before we get off here, and uh, make sure I've got you so I can get in touch with you. Uh, before you go, so just yeah, I sent you an I'm email on. tonight um, that has oh, okay. my phone number in it. So wonderful. Okay, Tom, thank okay. you so much. Look for it on the iTunes, Stitcher, of course, Apple Now, FM Radio, iHeart, uh, SoundCloud, uh, all kind of places, folks. Just wherever. Look for TJMRCT Radio, and that's Thomas Conwell, ufologist. 
and author with Teresa J. Morris, Janet Care Lesson. Thank you, Tom. Look forward to having you in the future on the Thursday on Portal to the Stargate on Revolution.Radio. Thank Thanks you so, so much, much, Teresa. Thank mm-hmm. you. Bye-bye. Good job. Good job. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much, and we look forward to seeing you next week, folks. Uh, we will be back here tomorrow for Revolution.Radio, 4 to 6 Eastern, and Friday night right here, yours truly, on Blog Talk Radio, TGMRCT Radio. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate it. I'm going to go see my sister and brother-in-law from Texas come over here. They'll be coming and hopefully doing a show with us soon. Ta-ta for now. Y'all come back now.